Welcome to the Focus Forward Business Podcast for SteadyMcKee.com. Hi, welcome. I'm so glad to have one of my mentors here, Bill Bishop, um, with us on the Focus Forward Business Podcast. Uh, Bill's a visionary and a future thinker who really helps business owners develop their next big idea. Um, he has also authored a number of excellent books you can look behind him, but including How to Sell a Lobster, uh, Beyond Basketballs, and then his latest book is The New Factory Thinker. Um, which I highly, highly recommend. I recommend all of them, but that's a different way of thinking about the world. Um, I am Sturdy McKee, business coach and advisor and your host for the Focus Forward Business Podcast. And it is an honor and a privilege really to have you here with us, Bill. Thank you. Well, thanks, Sturdy. I'm really looking forward to this conversation. I think we're going to get into some interesting stuff here. Oh, I, I, every conversation with you is interesting. So yes, <laughs> that, that's, a, that's a guarantee. Okay, so will, Bill, will you just tell our listeners a, bit, a little bit more about who you are and what you do? Uh-huh. Well, I, I have a company, uh, it's called The Big Idea Company. Um, and we're, we're located in Toronto, in Canada. And uh, I, I started that business in 1987, so like uh, a million years ago. And... Um, uh, I think it, it's just a great business that we created because um, we help people come up with big ideas for their business. And, and uh, that can get into all kinds of things, you know, uh, could be a way to promote things like new ideas for that, or could be new things that you could sell that are much more profitable. Uh, and, and lately, because of this book, New Factory Thinker, we've been helping people create all kinds of new businesses actually that become sister businesses, more like new economy businesses that they can get into. So, so, um, so it's really fun. And we've had about 5,000 companies uh, go through our program. It's called the big idea adventure. So and that, and that's been going on for 25 years. So uh, and, and all kinds of industries in every kind of business is really interesting. So um so I, I, you know, I've learned a lot of things that I can share with people that is, is helpful, I think. So how did you get started in business and what was your first venture? Oh, okay. Well, um, it's kind of interesting because I was originally, I, when I was in uh, college, I went to uh, journalism school, I took journalism. So, so uh, I was always an avid writer and everything. So um, sort of a newsy person. I thought I was going to be a journalist. So that was my reason for doing it. And, um, and but when I was there, I was also had a part time job and I worked at this steak restaurant um, and I and, and there was this contest to sell lobsters for the waiters. And I ended up winning the contest like by a huge margin. And I, I kind of became famous uh, in that company. It was a big steak chain, steakhouse chain. And um, and then and then I just sort of realized that I was actually really good at this kind of thing, like marketing and packaging and stuff. And uh, so then I, that's just, I just started getting clients from that. And that's basically how the business got started. So, so if I hadn't worked in a steak restaurant as a waiter, I, I wouldn't be doing this. I'd be a journalist somewhere, I guess, doing something else. But so that, that's Putting how it started. On the current state of affairs. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So maybe not so good to be a journalist right now. But um, so, uh, but you know, that, that, but the writing was you know something I learned to do right so then sure. uh, as part of my business I do I write all these books and and I, and I wrote the book how to sell lobster about that particular situation um, and and many others and I, and I really enjoy that part because uh, I, I like teaching people about all these things as well as helping them coaching them but I, I really love talking about these 
ideas. So, and a lot of them are really unconventional. The things that mm -hmm. people, you know, we're really looking for things the marketplace is rewarding and often they're not what we normally think um, is the way to do things. So, um, so that, that's, that, that's uh, sort of how it all evolved based on that question. No, yeah. that's, that's cool. And I really, I mean, the, some of the principles in how to sell a lobster are, they're, uh, well, get the book. We're, we're not here just to pitch yeah. books. Well, I, but I can, no, but I can, I can talk about that situation uh, because it will help us with the conversation. Wow, yeah, sure. I, it's, I mean, it's so straightforward yeah. and simple and elegant and that, that it's, yeah. yeah, please share that. Yeah, well, that, that was the thing because it was, uh, when I, the contest was basically over three months, you know, the waiters had to sell, try to sell lobsters with the steaks, like get people to buy both of those things. Mm -hmm. And uh, and so after three weeks, I was in last place and they said they were going to fire the last person, the person as last, you know, <laughs> I don't, I don't know if they did actually ultimately, but that was the threat. And um, so I was like, uh Oh, and I was in last place at that point. So, um, so I, I think I, the story is you, the only lobsters you had sold were, well, I bought two of them and then I, I bought, I sold two to my parents. So it's like, that wasn't a good strat. That wasn't going to be a, a ultimately sustainable, you know? <laughs> anyway, so, um, so I, uh, uh, what I did was I, I went up to the people and I just said, listen, um, we did, we have a choice today. We, we have the basic and we have a special, the basic is just the steak, but the special and they'd say, what's that? And I'd say, well, it's a steak and lobster. And that was it. That's all I said. It's like, then you want to have the basic, or you want to have the special. And it just turned out that practically everybody then wanted the special, right? Right. So the neat thing was I wasn't being pushy. I was just giving them a choice and, um, and it worked. And, and then I started thinking, well, why did it, why was it working? Mm -hmm. And, mm -hmm. and that's when I, you know, it's like kind of some light bulbs went off. I mean, one of them was, that it wasn't ever about the lobster, right? Like, mm -hmm. you know, right? It, you know, it, lobsters are fine, but it, it wasn't about that. It, it was about um, one. It was about them, mm -hmm. right? So, so if they bought the basic, then they would be basic. They didn't really like feel like they wanted to be basic. They wanted to be special by having the special. So that word made them think of themselves as special, right? And and that's a really important thing. When, mm -hmm. when we talk about creating value and selling stuff. And then the second thing was that it made that event, like a, let's say somebody was taking someone on a date or it was a birthday party or something. It made that event special as opposed to basic. And you see, I had framed it in a way that they weren't thinking about it before. Right. They, right. they were, they didn't, when I started using those words, basic and special, I was like, okay, well, I don't want to be, I don't want our event to be basic. I want it to be special. So I had kind of, you know, worked with their mind a little bit. Um, so that was an important element. Then, and then the third thing was I realized, well, oh, well, wait a minute, what this really means is that people aren't actually buying the product itself, they're buying the idea that's attached to it. I changed the idea that was attached to it, right? Suddenly it was a special thing um, as opposed to talking to us about the lobster, right? So then I realized, okay, well, you can create a lot of value in people's minds by repackaging things and presenting things in a certain way um, without having to change actually what you're doing or what you're selling. It's the, mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's the value is created in their mind, right? So a lot of value, 
was created in their mind around the word special, that that word itself created tons of value in their mind. So I thought, oh, okay. So, so these three things, one, it's all, usually, it's all about them and their self-image. It's all about the context that they're in, what kind of, what's the event or what's happening. And then the third thing is, you know, what is the words and ideas that, that we're actually putting out there? And if we can work with those things, we can, you know, we can do all kinds of great stuff with our businesses, you know, um, we can sell more, uh, but we can also charge more, you see, and we can make way more money um, because people are responding to that new kind of value that you put in front of them. Um, so we can get more into the specifics of that, but th those were the three big principles and that they've, uh, and that kind of carried me forward and almost every project we've ever worked on since has, has had those elements in it, regardless right. of what, what the business was, you know? Right. I love it. Okay. Um, so I mean, we're all busy, right? That seems yeah. to be a theme, especially with small business owners. Mm -hmm. uh, what advice would you give a small business owner that's struggling with not having enough time? Well, one would be stop being so busy. <laughs> okay. <laughs> How do you so, do that? Okay. Well, you see, this, that's why it's a, the busy thing is a trap, right? So mm -hmm. I say that everyone's capable of being a gourmet chef, but we go to work every day and we sell hot dogs, okay? Now, one of the jobs I actually had, like I've had so many jobs. I, was, I, I probably had 100 part-time jobs when I was a kid, younger. And then one of them was actually working on a hot, in a hot dog stand, like a hot dog place in a kind of amusement park, you know? Mm -hmm. And we sold hot dogs day and night. I worked like 12 hours a day and I made about $1.65 an hour. And, right. and it was just churning out these hot dogs. And it was a horrible thing, right? And, 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 um, and, and the owner, he said, look, I don't make any money either. Like it's, it's just, uh, you know, so much overhead and I'm, we're so busy cranking out these hot dogs, but we're not really making an, very much money here. Now that was kind of an eye opener for me like when I was right. 16, you know? So, so, so what happens is I call it the hot dog trap. It's that we have a business that we're selling something that's generally a commodity because there's a whole bunch of competition. So, you know, you're saying like a lot of your listeners here are um, physiotherapists. Well, you know, there are a lot of physiotherapists out there. Mm -hmm. You know, you type physiotherapy in Google, I could do it and I'd probably get a, a billion results. Well, and you know, you're right. They may not even know this. The physios are the third largest medical profession in mm -hmm. the English speaking world. Ireland's the only place I haven't found the stats, but US, Canada, Australia, the UK, South Africa, you name it, it's nurses are the largest, right? And then physicians right. and then PTs, bigger than dentists, chiropractors, anybody else. Yeah. And yeah. we don't so even know it. So there's, there's a good side to that, of course, is that there's a demand for right. this, you know? I mean, I, I've, I've been using physiotherapists for years, you know? As I get older, it's like, you know, practically every week. So, um, you know, so that's good. But the, the, the problem is, yeah, a lot of people wanted to buy the hot dogs too, right? So you got to go, is that, am I going to get stuck in that kind of business? Because what, what I see happening, um, and this has been going on for 30 years, really, but um, it's just getting worse and worse, is that um, because there's more and more suppliers of, let's say in any industry, there's more and more suppliers of something, right? I call them penguins, right? Mm -hmm. um, then the more penguins there are, 
then the price is, you know, very, there's a lot of competition around the price and then the costs keep going up and then the, the margins prices get go smaller, down. okay? Right. So I, I don't know, I think Woody Allen or somebody said, you know, like we're losing, we're losing, uh, you know, a dollar on every widget, but we're making it up on volume. <laughs> Okay. So, so it's like, okay. So, so therefore, you know, most people who have the, the small businesses, it's like, okay, well, this is how I make my income and put food on the table. So the only way to somehow stay ahead is to work more. Mm -hmm. Right. And so work more hours. So, you know, and every hour, you know, as time goes by, you're actually making less per hour. So you got to work even more hours. That's why a lot of people are, you know, you see one income families. Now there's two income families, three income families, because right. we're, all, we're all running hot dog stands and we just have to keep going. So, so the busyness, um, you know, there, there, there's some sort of pat on the back for being so busy. And it seems like, wow, we got a successful business. But, you know, I looked up who is the most successful hot dog vendor in the world, right? Like I, okay. I just typed it in Google, you know, I did a little searching and it turned out to be this woman in Iceland. She had this hot dog stand. Um, I guess in what, again, I can't pronounce the name, Reykjavik or whatever it's called. Reykjavik, yeah. Yeah, is that the, how you say it? Okay, well, anyway, so, so she's, so, but she's the only one in Iceland, okay? So <laughs> okay. she's got the market cornered. There's probably Americans that go there. They just go right to her and I've got a hot dog. But, <laughs> right. Um, and Canadians too. But anyway, so, uh, but she, her income, is a hundred thousand dollars okay so that this is the thing the most successful hot dog vendor in the world makes a hundred thousand dollars that's the that's the most right and right. she probably works 12 14 hours a day okay so so this is a, you know it sounds depressing but it just to point out that that's the situation a lot of people get caught in okay um and yet and then of course that's a problematic but the other thing is that we leave so many wonderful things that we could do at home or in the parking lot when we right. go into the factory to make or sell hot dogs, right? And we're, and we're not bringing all those ingredients to what we're doing, you see? Um, because there's sort of a system for, make, for selling hot dogs, right? So in physiotherapy, there's sort of a, a system there. They, you know, you're a professional, you've been trained, this is how you run a practice, this is what you do, you know? Like I, I work with dental networks, it's the same thing, right? You know, my wife's a physician. It's mostly the same. Right. Everybody's running a hot dog stand, you know, like this is really what it's just kind of going like crazy. So um, the old hamster in the wheel, right? Right. I go, okay, but what if we could be a gourmet chef? What if we well, could have that? And can I could... interject real quick? Cause I love this yeah. transition, but I just, yeah. just like specific to the physio world, at least in the mm -hmm. U.S., and and yeah. with my clients in Canada, it's not a lot different. I mean, mm -hmm. you'll you'll relate to this too, but yeah. um, the the average profit margin for an in-network practice is around ten point eight percent. Okay, meaning that if you just like you mentioned with the hot dog stand, like the best you could hope for, unless you do something dramatically different, mm -hmm. is to make a hundred thousand dollars, right? But like if you're in the in the physio world and you know apply this to dentistry or to any other small business, look around you. If the average rev, you know, average income, average profit margin is 10.8%, if you do the same thing everybody else is doing, what are you gonna get? Uh, you're gonna get the same. Right? Bingo. So tell yeah. us about the gourmet. 
Okay. So, um, so it's good though, just, just before I go there, is just to really get in touch with the pain of this hot dog thing. Okay. <laughs> I think we're in touch with okay? it. Okay. <laughs> like just really like, it's supposed to be in the delusion, you know, this is just the way it is. Like it's, it's really is important right. to just say, you know, um, this isn't so good. Right. It's just this. Okay. So then we go, okay, what about a gourmet restaurant, a gourmet meal or something? Um, mm -hmm. What would that look like? So just think about the difference though. Okay. So you have a person running the hot dog stand 14 hours a day makes, you know, X dollars. Then there's the person that runs the gourmet restaurant and is a you know, gourmet chef or whatever. Mm -hmm. they, they work like uh, four hours a day. They spend most of their time thinking about these wonderful kind of meals that they could make, the artistry of that. Mm. The people come in, they eat the meal, and they pay 500 bucks for dinner or something. A lot more than a hot dog. A lot more for a hot dog. <laughs> and then you, you get to go home early and, you know, that's it. And, you know, and if you get to be a really famous one, like I looked up all the famous chefs and stuff, and, you know, and those, you know, names we know, um, they're like worth a half a billion dollars, some of them, their net worth, mm -hmm. right? So I go... I think that would be good to try to do that. So, um, so then, so that's the first thought is just to say, I could be a gourmet chef because everyone can do it. That's the thing. Everybody's got the capability and, uh, and the best gourmet chefs are the ones that are bringing all these different elements of their life, their experiences, their work experiences, just how they view the world, what they've done. And they bring all those things together into a unique offering, mm -hmm. right? So they're all kinds of things going on and, and it's at a higher level, obviously, and it has all these special ingredients in it. All right. So, so the way to do it is to say, okay, I'm going to give my clients, patients, customers, whatever, a choice. All right. I'm going to say, you can have the hot dog and you can have the gourmet meal. The hot dog's $3, the gourmet meal's $300. That's the first thought. Okay. Yeah, this this makes it clear about how you would actually get this going is sure. that would be the choice you'd give them okay so we're just going to the marketplace just like i did basic and special right okay so um and then just say which one do you want right so now the surprise is is that you know at first you're saying well i can't i'm having a hard time getting people to pay three dollars like the guy down the street selling hot dogs for 250 you know like right. oh my god how can i $300. What are you saying? Right. But the <laughs> thing is, is that because it's so dramatically different that a lot of people go, you know, I'm sick of eating hot dogs and it only gets so far. This gourmet meal sounds very interesting, you know? Mm -hmm. And and then what we find is that a lot of people go for it and it's like the biggest revelation ever. It's like, I can't believe that people are paying me this, the big bucks for this gourmet meal because I thought they were all really cheap and I couldn't get them to pay anything. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, so that's, that's the first thing. So then you go, well, what the heck would this gourmet meal be? Gourmet meal be, right. What would I put in it? So I like, I'd like to think of Starbucks, for example, um, is that what they did was they, they were in an industry where it was more or less a hot dog because a cup of coffee was 50 cents. You see? Mm -hmm. And they said, well, we're going to try to get people to pay $5 for a cup of coffee. Right. And everybody called them crazy. And they were, yeah, what are you nuts? Like, why would anybody pay 10 times more for a coffee? But right. you see, they didn't focus on the coffee. Right. You know, it was like a coffee is a coffee, ultimately. Like, you can pretty it up a little bit. But what did they do? 
What did they, how did they get people to pay five bucks? It was the third place. Okay, so what does that mean? Well, a, so the third place means that it was the place outside of home and work that they could go and be. Right, so it's like kind of like their third home kind of thing. Right, right? it's kind or of like a pub in England kind of, or, right. Yeah, okay, good. Yeah, and I have that. I haven't been going lately, of course, but um, right, right very close to my home is a beautiful Starbucks. And um, I spent a lot, I wrote a lot of my books there. You know, anyway, and um, so that's part of it. And then, you know, and then they have the barista and they have right. grandes and ventes and chai lattes and they put your name on it and the whole darn thing, right? This whole package that they put together and they said, okay, well, it's five bucks because so you look at it and you go, well, that's worth five bucks, right? And um, so that was the methodology is that sure. they said, okay, I'm just going to imagine this more expensive Gourmet meal, and then I got to think of what I'm going to put in it. Okay, so I'm, I'm just kind of walking you through the way to mentally, you know, like the well, mental roadmap for this. I like the point here too, though, that the gourmet mm -hmm. meal consists of more than just the food products and the plate. Exactly, it, it's it's all the ideas around. It. It's the words. It's all kinds of things, right? Mm -hmm. And it's what do you feel when you go ambiance. in there? You right. feel special, right? It's that special thing again, right? Okay, and and it, and it's a, there's a lot of emotional value in it sure right a lot of self-image value in it which are, which are not not to be dismissed because these are very important things to people right mm -hmm. and uh so so when we go be, get beyond like that's why i call it beyond basketballs you know instead of just saying i'm selling basketballs to think of what could i do beyond basketballs that would provide value right i'm going to keep mm -hmm. the basketball but what else could i do so so this is uh this is the way we get to the what I call the big idea. All right. So then you go, okay, well, how do I get, get this, this thing that would help me make more money? So part of the goal here for anyone in business is to say, okay, I'm going to try to make twice as much income, like not revenue income and, and, and work half as much. And that okay? just sounds crazy and mind blowing to most people on the surface. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it, it's, you know, the four hour work week is great. And I read that book and everything. And I go, sure. okay, that, that's, that's also got to I make mean, we can go there if you want that far. <laughs> but but let's just start with double our income, right. work half as much like, and if you, if you have that goal, then you're going to have to do something different, right? Like, you mm -hmm. can always make more money, just work harder. Or you could right. spend less time at work, but then you won't make enough money. So in the old factory, I call it, but in this new factory, we're going to think, okay, the goal of this is to make twice as much income and work half as much. Okay. That's the gourmet. So, so I'll give you an example of what's possible here. So uh, there's a company in Canada I worked with called the live well clinics and uh, Sarah, the woman that's, uh, you know, she, she owns it. Um, they're all there. They have them all across Canada and they're physiotherapy clinics. Um, more or less that definition. Um, and uh, so they said their problem was that a lot of people just thought of them as some kind of fitness studio or something like they uh -huh. would see people working out and things like that. And they said, no, no, we're not that. Um, but we're not sure what we are. <laughs> you know. So how, you know, how do we describe all this? Right. So, so I started to talk to them about, well, what was it that people really needed? You know, what, and what were the big problems people had that no one was helping them with? 
And they said, well, frankly, um, you know, coming in just to physiotherapy is fine, but it's sometimes a bit of a revolving door, right? Like they'll, they'll get sure. whatever their problem is that, you know, they got a problem with their knee or something, it'll get better. But then, you know, six months later, they'll be back in with some problem with their shoulder or something like, you know, whatever, or the, or the knee again. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, we recognize that. And so, so they said, I said, well, what would help them with that? And they said, well, they need to learn some healthy habits in their life. They need something, they need to, you know, live their life based on some ha habits that will help them be much healthier and happier. And so they identified what those six of them were. Uh, and they call it the healthy habit model. They said, we, you know, what we do is we help you learn these six healthy habits that, you know, are going to help you not get hurt all the time, you know, to be proactive and everything. And so then they, what they did was they created the healthy habit program. And, and, and they said to the people, um, listen, you can come in and you can just do the therapy sessions. They were like a hundred dollars Canadian to do per hour, um, which was the kind of going rate, or you can be in this program and this program is $3,500. And it's a step-by-step -step process we take you through and it, it, it goes over six months and mm -hmm. you become a member and you get all kinds of um, benefits from it. Mm -hmm. And uh, also you get a discount on the therapy sessions as well, like 5% off or something, right. um, if you're a member, okay? Well, this, uh, this was like a revelation, okay, to them. Because one, they felt really good. Oh, we actually have, you know, something really special now to talk about that's unique, right? We, they, they, you know, they, they registered all the, intellectual property around that um and they now had something interesting to talk about on their website and all that kind mm -hmm. of thing um and then uh people were intrigued by that and then now they had this more special program to offer and people started signing up for it and they're paying thirty five hundred dollars and and the thing was <laughs> the key was really is it wasn't based on time right okay it wasn't like they were putting in like uh it wasn't like they you know Thirty-five hundred wasn't like they were doing thirty-five one-hour sessions. That's right. Okay. Now they were. They would probably spend instead of thirty-five hours, they were probably spending ten hours mm -hmm. with people. That because a lot of it was uh, it was based on the experience they were having and th certain things they would give them and videos to watch and mm -hmm. things to teach them and so on. So so what they basically did was decouple from this sort of labor by the hour problem, which is really where a lot of people are stuck, right? Sure. Any kind of uh, service business, it's a, you know, we're, we're selling our labor by the hour. Um, and there's only so much of that that we can do. So when it becomes a program, well, then it's no longer tied to time and labor, you see. So therefore, it's just the result and also the perceived value of it. Mm -hmm. And even just the idea that people feel, I'm a member and I'm learning these healthy habits. That belonging. And, and then the belonging to a community, because sure. that was also part of it. Um, right. yeah, these were, uh, you know, these were the kind of more, I call transcendent value components. Like they were things that were, you know, almost undefinable, mm -hmm. right? But ex extremely valuable to people that, that, you know, they would go, oh, well, I just love this. I love being in this and I feel like I'm doing something good for myself. And 
the practical thing is that because they were learning these healthy habits, mm -hmm. that they were actually healthier and they were, you know, living a, a better life. So it all all it was all good, right? So now they're now they're in the gourmet business. And of course, not everyone's gonna sign up for this thing. No. But everyone that did, you know, and and it got easier as they went along because more members they got, the more members they could get. Like it became much easier as time went mm -hmm. on, right? So so this is the path out of that hot dog trap, you know. Well, and you're bringing up a, there are a couple things here, you know, when you mention, and it's very, very true, right? Whether, and this is all over North America and I, in Europe, I think, and Australia and stuff as well, like mm -hmm. physios particularly, and so many of health, healthcare providers, um, and even other professions are, are in this transactional charge for time. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the, I kind of look at it, and I, I, you know, way back, I would just look at, look at attorneys and stuff and say, well, you know, some charge more than others and that kind of, but they're still charging for time. Mm -hmm. Right. And I know that's a frustration for somebody who's been, okay, so let's take the insurance model for a second or the government model in Canada. It doesn't mm -hmm. matter if you've been in practice for 20 years or 30 years and have that expertise, or you're straight out of school, you get paid the same for your time by those insurance companies, mm -hmm. you know, and you know, the irony is someone with 30 years experience who's cultivated their clinical practice is generally more efficient than a newer grad, but therefore they're actually going to get paid less per case if they, if they do a better job and get somebody out quicker. And that whole, that, that thing, I, I, that's a huge frustration for me anyway. And, and I think for a lot of people is, and I love what you're talking about with that decoupling of the time from you know, mm -hmm. the, the, the value of the service. And you brought up another point I want to call out is, you know, when you guys are listening to this, Bill's not saying get rid of the, the standard service for the old factory. Mm -hmm. Okay. We're talking about yeah. adding to it, not, not, you know, disbanding, getting rid of that thing. It's still there. It works. It's great. It's a basis, but what else can you do? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So it, it and it makes it a lot easier to, to do it because, mm -hmm. right? If we if we were trying to you know if we're trying to make our business better, um, it you know I call it the old factory. Um, we'll spend a lot of time and effort to try to make that old factory better, right? More efficient or whatever. Right. Just or, squeeze you know, another two or three percent out of it. Yeah, just like it's, you know, so there's a huge amount of effort to get like one or two percent improvement sure. you know um and i go well you know and then they would think oh i could transform it or something you know like this mm -hmm. all that notion um but it's kind of like trying to renovate your house while you're living in it like it, it's just you know a miserable <laughs> right. thing i don't know if you've ever done that i have not a fun thing so um but this way is just we say no i'm gonna add on my new factory mm -hmm. okay and I'm just, so adding on something is way easier than changing something, right? So we're just adding this new thing on. And then what's the very first benefit of it, like even with the healthy habit model, the example we've used, um, is that it helped them sell more therapy sessions because it was the heart of their marketing. They say the reason why you should come here is because we have the healthy habit model. And even, you know, we apply that even if you're just doing the basic thing. Right. So, it, so it helped them sell more, uh, you know, sessions. But, um, but then, of course, it did have the upside of people signing up for this program. Now, um, 
most of the people came who had insurance, you know, they were coming for that. The program though, wasn't covered by insurance. Right. Okay. So that was kind of a question, you know, would people do that? Sure. But they do, you know, and, and it's like, um, because people have money, they spend money on all kinds of things. You know, yeah, if I have insurance, I'm going to pay for it with insurance, of course. Right. But it, it doesn't cover it by insurance. And I go, no, but I still want to do it. So I'll pay out of my own pocket. And, um, and you know, and the interesting thing about that is there's no regulators. There's nothing. You, you, you're not on the hook. Right? You set the price. You do whatever you feel is right there. And it's the mm-hmm. marketplace that's judging it, not mm-hmm. some bureaucrat somewhere or whatever, you know, telling <laughs> right. you what to do. Because that's what I see, too, in so many industries. It's like it's gotten so regulated and mm-hmm. everything is so rigid. And, you know, you have all this oversight on you. And, you know, who's that really benefiting? I don't know if it's benefiting the patient, frankly, you know. It's just a system that's set up, you know, and and I get it why it's there because there has to be uh, certain standards and so on, but, um, but it is a bit of a bind, right? Well, so, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, in in our system in the U S 27 cents of every healthcare dollar gets to the provider. Right. And that is, that's not serving the patient. Yeah. So that, yeah. So that, that squeezes everything even tighter. Right. Absolutely. So, so, so this is the other thing is that the new factory just says, okay, I don't want to think about all that. I can't fix it. It's way beyond me. You know, the force is much bigger than myself. Mm-hmm. But in this, it's like, I'm going to figure out how am I going to help these people more? And I'm going to develop my own thing. And I'm going to do that. I can give you a really good example because I'm very, it, it, you know, where I'm right now, it's happening in the other room, basically. Um, <laughs> my wife is a physician. Okay. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we're in Canada, we have public, you know, socialized medicine, you know, whatever you want. <laughs> oh, my God, you know, like, we, we just listen to that and go, Oh, yeah, yeah, we love it. Okay, I don't care who you're. There's not one person in Canada doesn't love it. I'm just going to put that in. There. Okay? Like even the most right wing person in Canada is going, we love it. Don't get rid of our socialized medicine. It's great. Okay. So that's a whole podcast. <laughs> another, yeah, another anyway. topic. But anyway, so she's on that, which has from the standpoint of being a doctor, a little bit of a downside because there's a limit sure. to how much she gets, right? Per hour. So she was in the hot dog stand, right? And running a hot dog stand. And then, um, but what I helped, I helped her with, but she created 99% of it was her work, but I helped mm-hmm. her a little bit. Um, she created the Mindful Mood Center. And she has the mindful mood model. Okay. Uh, and my wife, Jenny, she teaches people mindfulness. Um, and it's was, it was a whole it's a whole thing that she does that's unique, right? Mm-hmm. Well, this is her thing. She, she gets paid way more because she's doing them in groups, for one. Mm-hmm. Um, so she's working. Uh, she works a lot, but she's working less and making more money. Um, and people come from all over to do her program, right? Sure. So like, and she gets a lot of referrals. She's got a podcast. She's, she's just had like 60,000 subscribers or whatever. She's started past awesome. that lately. Um, yeah, I got her started in that a few years ago. And just like, you know, it's gone like crazy. Um, so she's, she's just like created this amazing thing, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, all, her, all her colleagues are retiring, you know, because we're in our 60s. She doesn't want to retire. She's like, I've created this amazing thing. Why would I stop doing it? You know? And she said, I don't have to do it. She only works, she works three days a week. She makes very good money. 
because she's got this amazing program that isn't about the time, you know, and mm -hmm. it's still, she still gets reimbursed by the healthcare system here, but it's billed in a different way. So she's actually able to make way more money per hour, like, like significantly like five or six times per hour more because mm -hmm. of the way she does it. And, um, and the other thing, which all of these are, they have the ability to, is that uh, it can be done virtually. Mm -hmm. See, that's the other thing about the gourmet meal here. Um, if I can keep using that term, is that it's all about knowledge and advice and, you know, helping people uh, in, in a, you know, not a physical way, right? So it can be totally done in a virtual way, like either totally digitally, like some kind of online thing, courses or whatever, or just through Zoom or whatever. Mm -hmm. So you're not tied to any physical location anymore. So right. if there's someone here in San Francisco, but if someone in Chicago wants to pay the 3,500 bucks for the program, no right. problem. Right. So you can, right. you go, well, there's only so many people in San Francisco would pay 3,500 bucks, but in the whole United States and, you know, in Canada, because it wouldn't anywhere really Mexico, right. uh, someone could say, yeah, I want to do that program and you could do it with them. And they wouldn't mm -hmm. have, you would never have to meet with them in person mm -hmm. and they would pay the $3,500. So, um, so this is all the, what I find really exciting about it, you know, is that it, it, there's so many benefits if you can just pull together your gourmet meal and, and then you offer it to the market. Um, and if someone doesn't want it, that's fine. They can still do the basic thing. Sure. Right. But if they want this new thing, then it's all upside. Well, and you just brought up another huge point. Even, even if you're, delivering a service that you need to be licensed for or something your mm -hmm. your customer base your reach just went from you know 15 minute 20 minute 30 minute drive from your offices to the entire place whatever that there where you're licensed so like in california as an example you know if you're in san francisco and you're going it was kind of we're kind of unique it's it's an interesting i'm sure it's like some other cities but there are people that won't like go from one district to another. So the, the whole city is not really the audience, right? It's the neighborhood or the area or really mm -hmm. a, a, like mm -hmm. a 10 minute walk from, yeah. but, but that gives you a hundred thousand people, right? Or 50,000 people or whatever it is, depending on the location. Mm -hmm. um, and you're serving a percentage of those, right? Well, California is 38 million people, right? So your potential audience just grew exponentially, even if you're delivering you know, a, a licensed service. But then when you're getting these programs you're talking about, you're moving beyond that in most cases. So, yeah. mm -hmm. you know, and we're not just talking about the US or your time zone or whatever, it's the English speaking world that you can serve. And if you speak another language, it's that too, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So well, that, I can give you another uh, healthcare related yeah. one. Okay. Um, this uh, company in uh, Australia, mm -hmm. um, they had uh, three clinics um, and it was all about skin cancer. So mm -hmm. it, it's Big a huge problem. It's a huge yeah. problem in Australia, like bigger than anywhere in the world because they got all these beautiful beaches and everything. So um, anyway, so that was okay. But, you know, it was all about bricks and mortar and mm -hmm. charging by their labor and time and all that. So, um, so through they went through our program and uh, and what we did was we codified their methodology for 
detecting and treating skin cancer. Okay. Mm. And, and we, we called it the, um, it was a bit of a mouthful, but it was the integrated skin cancer management system, which had an acronym to it. Um, and this methodology was what they used in their clinics. Right. And it was very uh, um, effective. So, so then what they did was they said, well, and the point of it was to then teach doctors this method. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, uh, so they started a school and it was all online, right? So anyone, any doctor anywhere in the world could learn this methodology, you know, mm-hmm. um, which if you looked at it in the first pass, it would look relatively simple, but then of course it would get into the very detailed medical right. details. Of and, um, so, and then when you went through it, you would get certified as mm-hmm. based on their, you know, schema, uh, as a, a certified, uh, skin cancer specialist that you could then offer your patients. Right. So would mm-hmm. you, you were a GP you would do this. Um, and then, uh, and then they would also say, well, if you keep going and do the next, like the master level, then you could set up your, you could actually be a specialist and just do that. Right. And we mm-hmm. can help you with your business and so on. Um, but the beautiful thing was, is that they, there was people from all over the world that did it, right? Mm-hmm. And, and it was a way to uh, leverage what they, what they, what was most valuable was what they know, right? Not what they do, but what they know. Mm-hmm. And now what they know is based on what they do, but they were able to take that intellectual property and monetize it. Um, like, it's remarkable. Like, I think like well, 5,000 doctors so far have gone through that course to learn how to do this well and i mean there are a lot of people in healthcare who monetize that they're going to get nervous about that or whatever think about the mm-hmm. number of people those five thousand doctors are helping now exactly you know, the reach the impact and right. i mean yeah you should get paid for that but that's a huge benefit to society exactly so I, i'd say like the analogy i use is like you're an amazing musician mm-hmm. but you're like a busker you're just standing on the corners with your guitar singing the song, right? Like right. Neil Young is singing on the street, you know, and people putting <laughs> dollar in their penny in their their hat, right? Okay, well, and that's what most people do. Like they're just like that, you know. It's it's one song after another, one person after another. You're singing to. Well, this creates, you know, this is like creating an album, or mm-hmm. well, they don't call them albums anymore. I don't know what to call them, <laughs> now. but you know, um, but you know, recording your songs and then putting it out to the whole world. Right. Right. And then this is what I told my wife, Ginny, you know, I said, listen, because she said, oh, you know what, I'm, I'm not like this ambitious person. I, you know, I don't, I'm not, I didn't do it for the money and all that. Kind of. I said, yeah, but you're trying to help people. Right. And I could right. see it. I said, well, we want to help way more people. I'm going to help you help a hundred times more people. So one thing is we're going to do this podcast. And uh, so she's right. She's reaching tens of thousands of people now. And she's helping them, right? And uh, and that is the goal. I mean, for people in any kind of uh, caring profession, really, that's why you're doing it. You know, you know. Otherwise, you'd go into some other kind of thing, which could make you way more money, I'm sure. But this is about that's a lot of reason why you do it, right? So, if your goal is to help more people, then you want to do these kind of things to expand the reach, because otherwise, it's like the best kept secret that never really ever, you know, is never reaches its full potential and helps as many people as it could. So, so that's why I do it. I, why I help, like I've worked with so many people in healthcare because I, 
that's one industry I know everybody's trying to help people and mm -hmm. we're just trying to help more people. Right. So I, I feel great. great. Way Maybe of thinking I, about it. You know, like I worked with that skin cancer company and I feel like I feel good because I'm sure, sure my, my help, I've helped maybe help people save their lives so that they didn't die from skin cancer. So, you know, and I, I had skin cancer. So, yeah, no, that's huge. And you think about the impact again, leveraging not just, and this is one of those principles, right? Sharing in some way, shape or form, then you're not just doing it for that one person in front of you. You're getting, you're, you're sharing that knowledge and those, that expertise that you've learned with mm -hmm. other practitioners who then help other people. And you're really, you know, leverage is kind of overused in the business world, but this is a huge leverage point, you know, to reach and impact and help others. And, you know, really mm -hmm. this is a big part of why I'm doing what I'm doing instead of just running a PT practice. Cause there was a limit, you know, and, and I went kind of through these stages. So just, you know, I could help the people I was working with, or I could hire people and run a company that then helped more people and then made the transition to, well, why don't I help the people who run the companies so they can help more people. Right. And ultimately, mm -hmm. you know, I get therapists sometimes like, Oh, you don't treat like I haven't touched a patient in eight or nine years. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, Oh, well, do you miss it? Like, no, I don't miss it because the thousands of patients that we're able to help and impact, you know, that I'm able to contribute to in some way by helping these owners and their practices. Mm -hmm. And, mm -hmm. you know, so it's just a different mindset around what you're doing, but making that shift bill. And I mean, that's what you help people with, but making that shift, I think that's, I, I, I can't wait to hear the feedback from, especially from the healthcare providers that, you know, are listening and watching. Uh-huh. Yeah. And, you know, and the thing was, this is what I did for myself, you know, right. Um, because it, what the first 10 years of my business, um, it was all labor. Okay. And I had a whole <laughs> bunch of people working for me and I was happy enough because I was just getting started and I was young and, you know, and I had lots of, lots of beans and everything, but, um, but I could also see, boy, you know, like we're making $75 an hour if we're lucky, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. and, and, and what was I, and I was making, okay income, but, you know, uh, but it was just, you know, a ton of work, right? And then I, I realized, you know, the thing that I'm, I'm really good at is helping people come up with these big ideas, you know? Mm -hmm. So what was happening was I was doing that and I wasn't charging anybody for it. It was, I was just throwing it on. It's like, here's the hot dog. And then I'm going to put a whole bunch of diamonds on, on top of the, of the hot dog, you know? <laughs> yeah. And, and I'm going to put a lobster on there and just so you buy my hot dog, you know? And I was like, what am I doing? So I said, I'm going to create this gourmet business, this new factory, I call it, um, that's going to be about big ideas. I don't know if I can get anybody to pay me. I don't know that, but I'm going to right. try to make it into a business. So I kept my old factory and I started this new thing, big idea adventure. And I just found one person to try it on. And I said, I'll do it for free. So it's like I was cooking up a meal for them, right? Mm -hmm. And they, wow, that's a really good meal. They, and they got a big idea and actually got a whole bunch of business from them anyway. And I just kept doing that. I kept cooking up these big idea meals and they, got, they kept better and better. And I had a recipe for it. And then, uh, then I started charging for it mm -hmm. and people loved the meal. And then they started telling other people. And then, and then now I've had 5,000 people have our gourmet. Yeah, that's meals, right. Incredible, right? Yeah. And, and, uh, it, you know, and, and I, and we make way more than $75 an hour, right? But we're providing a hundred times more value because I found that one thing that we were really good at 
that had a, had that people valued, right? So, and so that's what I built my business around well, 25 years ago. You're also, and I, I mean, this, you're, I've thought of this story several times as you've been talking, but especially for those folks, you know, all you guys that are out there and have been doing this for 20, 30 years, right? Um, you have ideas or, or around what you could be doing differently or, or you know, you have incredible knowledge and value wisdom that you've learned that, that if you shared it with the world could be of tremendous value. And this mm -hmm. idea of getting paid by the hour, um, the story that kept, keeps popping up is this thing about like this woman sees Picasso, right? In a, a restaurant and she says, oh, will you, you know, I love, I love you, I love your work. Will you please sketch something for me on this napkin? So he does, right? And he hands it to her and he tells her it'll be $40,000. And she said, but it only took you, you know, um, two minutes to do that. And he said, no, it took me 40 years. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, so that's what people say. Well, sometimes they go, well, well, you're charging me a lot of money. And I go, well, I'm not charging you by the hour. I'm charging you for the 40 years that I've been doing this. Right. You're the beneficiary that's what, that's of what all you're that for. work and knowledge and wisdom right. that has been developed over decades. Yeah. Yeah, and and so that's what you want to get paid for, right? Um, right? Is is that as opposed to just slogging it out in a factory, an old <laughs> factory, where you're not? I, mean, I, I remember I met this guy was playing golf, and uh, he uh, was in our foursome. I said, "What do you do?" He said, "Well, I work at General Motors." I go, "Okay," and he said, "I said, what do you do there?" He says, "Well, I put the mirror on the side of the car." And I go, and "How long have you been doing that for?" Twenty-five years. So every day I'd go in and just stick that mirror on the side of the car. So for me, that was just like, oh my God, like that is just <laughs> a nightmare. He was happy. I mean, you know, he's probably retired on a big pension and everything, but, mm -hmm. but it was like, for me, it's like, that's not what I want to do. Like, I don't want to be that person. And, and so, so many of us do that, right? Like every day with the mirror on the side of the car, mirror on the side of the car. Like, well, you know, think about it. You don't want to do that for the next 20 years. Like whatever. Yeah, that if you do more power to you, you but. That's I know, and then and, and for some people maybe that's perfectly fine. There's a lot of yeah, stability but... in that, you know. But for me, it's like, wait a minute, you know, there, there's a way more, way more potential here than that, you know. So, so, um, you know, and and so anyway, so so this is why, I this is why I espouse this way of thinking. Now, it it, it isn't for everybody because not everybody. Right. It, it's interesting because some people go well. Who am I to be the expert? They have that. It's a mental block. Right. You know? I know, right. You know, Bill, you write books and stuff, but you're an expert. And I go, well, actually, I had to convince myself that I was an expert. I had to go, well, you know, I do have something to offer, but mm -hmm. I wasn't thinking of myself as an expert. It was more like, is there, is there things that I know that I think might be helpful? Right. And then I just started to write it down in a right. book. So part of the reason why I write a book is I go, there's all this stuff up here. And it's going to die with me in here unless I put it into a book. And now I've got the book and a whole bunch of people can read it. And maybe after I'm gone, the book will still be around maybe, but, but at least I've captured it. Right. And sure. my intellectual property. And then I can, you know, and then I go, okay. And two things with that is one is, well, it, it creates a wider audience. It's like writing the, the music, you know, uh, recording the music, but also mm -hmm. it helps me figure out what I actually do know right like and then when i book. have it all in that book 
I can kind of move on from it now. I can go, okay, now I can move on to the next thing I want to think about. Right? Mm -hmm. So, so that, that's another part. I really encourage people to start writing down what they know, doing videos about what they know, podcasts, um, and really start to get that all out there. And, and it starts with saying, you know what, I'm an expert too in something, um, but I'm not doing that in a boastful way. It's just that I have some expertise that I think can be really helpful and I want to get it out there more. Right. And if you have that self-image, then you're more likely to do these kind of things. But I, I do I have met some people who go, well, I'm not an expert. What am I in? But well, that's interesting. an expert in something. Yeah. Well, exactly. And especially yeah. if you've been well, think of it this way. If you're listening to this and you've been in practice or running a business or what have you for 10, 15, 20 years, yeah. you, you have knowledge that people need. You know, if you've been doing it two years, you have knowledge mm -hmm. people need, mm -hmm. right? So starting to get ahead of that and, and share it. I love, I love the point of the book, like recording. It's a difference between performing on the street corner for one person at a time and recording it and putting it on you know, YouTube or whatever, right? Right. On, on yeah, iTunes or the whole world to hear. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's awesome. Right. Because, and then the other thing is that, you know, that'll go on for, I mean, I always say about my videos it's evergreen. Well, yeah, I, I never get older <laughs> in the videos. You know? That's it. I'm that age, you know, forever. <laughs> so maybe when I'm like 95, I'll be sitting there. Going, look at, look at me. Like, you know, if you want to know about me, like I'm, just go to my video, watch my video. Wow, you're so useful. <laughs> you know, but it is, it's evergreen. I love it. So, I mean, you're obviously still learning. In my experience, you know, successful people are always learning, reading, doing stuff. Um, so what's the biggest mm -hmm. thing you've learned recently that maybe you wish you had learned like 10 or 15 years ago? Oh, okay. Um, yeah, oh, I think I have the answer. So... Um, so what I've what what I've been working on lately um, is creating networks. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. So so this is kind of like the super gourmet thing. All right. So let's say we have our basic labor. We have our gourmet meal. This would be the super gourmet meal, and and what it is is about bringing people together. Mm -hmm. um, and I never really thought of it that way, but um, but so what what. I've been doing is creating platforms. Like I have this thing called the new economy network that I created. Um, and it's basically to bring business people together to talk about the new economy. Right. And uh, I get a lot of gratification from seeing them interacting with each other. So it's not just, they have a relationship with me. Right. right. So, so, and I also realized that that's such an excellent marketing thing. So I never thought about that as being part of my business was to bring my prospects and colleagues and peers together in a network. Um, but I'm seeing that that is something hugely valuable. And, and in this day and age that we're really all working on a network called the internet, that mm -hmm. to create your own network is, is actually one of the highest values that you can provide. Right. So, so I, I had been doing, I did that 30 years ago, actually, I created something called the, big BBS system. Uh -huh. And it was uh, before even the World Wide Web or anything. And it was a, a network for business people in a very kind of clunky way based on today's technology. 
that was actually pretty successful but but it was almost like i was just caught up in the technology i wasn't really thinking about it being an idea of bringing people together it wasn't it so um so i think that's i wish i had really understood the implication of that earlier because i think i could have done more of that i think um but but that, that's something that i've been really uh working on a lot lately is that so um and and that's sort of part of my new book that i'm working on uh, which is called Dancing with Robots. Okay. <laughs> okay. And um, you see, you see the, the pandemic is uh, a huge accelerator of change here, right? Yes. And it one is. of one of the changes that was happening is being accelerated is automation, and the emergence. I, I use robots as as sort of a stand-in for any kind of technology or um, you know um, automation technology. So, so as we go along, we're going to be more and more interfacing with technology, right? And uh, most, pe most people either have an aversion for it, like they go, I don't want to even have anything to do with it. I guess it's like, this is too much for me. I can't I hate technology, right? <laughs> or they're all in, they're just like, they're totally like immersed in technology every which way, you know, without even even thinking about it, you know? Um, but I see it as a bit of a dance is to say, we need to be very discerning about who we dance with, right? Like you wouldn't want to dance with everybody. So, so, um, so we need to be discerning in this dance with technology. Um, and we need to develop those skills. And then in, in, in the book that I'm working on, um, I taught, I don't want to get into it now because it I'm still formulating it, but there's these five human advantages, I call them, things that we bring to um, the, the marketplace that robots can't, they yes. won't ever do. So, if, so this is what we can bring to the dance, right? Because computer, hmm. computers and robots can do things that we can't do, like they're amazing abilities, but there's certain things. And one of them, which is apropos to our discussion, is uh, I call it purpose-driven ideation, all right? Yes. Human beings are really good at that. So, so when we're thinking about this, you know, if you start thinking, I, I want to create a gourmet meal, what is it going to be? Is that we're going to use that skill. Okay. Mm -hmm. So purpose driven. So what it really means then is say, okay, who do I really want to help? That's the first thought, right? And then what is my purpose? Like, what am I really, what's really meaningful to me mm -hmm. that I could really like to help them with? You know, I don't know how I'm going to get paid for it yet. I don't know that, but I'm going to really get clear about that purpose, right? It's, and it's about helping them. It's not about my purpose, about me and who I am and all that stuff. It's just about the purpose of what am I trying to do to help them? And then all kinds of ideas will come up because now you have this intention to do this. And so you start to endlessly come up with ideas. Like It's like we're all capable of it, okay? But most of us don't activate that part of ourself because it we're all just thinking about ourselves. what are my goals what are my problems who am i and all this stuff and i go just forget it just think about who do you want to help what's your purpose to try to help them and you'll have so many ideas to help them that the marketplace will love because now you've you're 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 you've got everything in the right place it's all starting in the right 
way, right? Because the marketplace doesn't care about you. The marketplace says, what are you going to do to help me? Right. Absolutely. Right? So that purpose-driven ideation uh, is very important. And then the other one, other human advantage uh, is I call it embodied pattern recognition. Okay. So we have a body, right? Now, physiotherapists are going to, I think, right. totally take to the Geek out on this one. Robots don't have a body. Okay. So even though they have sensors and internet of things and all that stuff, and they're going to be able to do this and that, they don't have a body. The body has way more, we can pick up on things that a robot can never do, like certain mm -hmm. things just from all of our senses and everything, um, our intuition and so on. And then we're able to recognize patterns. Okay. So if we look at all of our patients, right. And we, and we just get into our body and we start thinking about, well, what, what's really going on to these patients and, and contemplate it in that way. You'll start to notice there's certain patterns and those Absolutely. patterns will, will reveal certain problems that they have that no one's helping them with. You see? So the, a computer would never be able to come up with those things. You mm -hmm. see? So, um, so because physiotherapy is an embodied experience, then physiotherapists would have even an advantage in this area as well over us sure. or other people. Um, so these are the things that I'm working on right now. There's three other ones I, I won't talk about, but um, I get very excited about this because a lot of people are really scared about technology and what it will do to us mm -hmm. as opposed to saying, no, no, if we bring our advantages and the computer advantage together, we can do some wonderful things for people. You know, and in the medical world, you know, unfortunately, technology is in a lot of ways very great, but also causing problems, too. You know, right. I, I gave a talk at uh, Richmond University, uh, Virginia Commonwealth University in Richmond uh, last mm -hmm. October or yeah, a year ago. And I was at the medical school um, and we I, I talked all about, you know, the dance with technology and with in the medical world and, and they, they had was such a great discussion about that and how they were seeing that technology was in some ways causing a lot of problems it was solving mm -hmm. a lot of problems but it was causing a lot of problems so so uh anyway so that's uh it's kind of the next frontier for me and helping people and thinking of these things because um, i think it's going to become a huge thing um and it's already affecting a lot of people in healthcare. And we sure, need and it's accelerating. Things, right? I mean, that's yeah. one thing in 2020 is all this stuff that we were, you know, I was working with clients and talking about a 10 or 15 year horizon. We've, that's all moved up, you know, dramatically. Um, yeah, yeah. There's a book called The Second Machine Age. Hmm. Um, it's a really good book. And they call it The Second Machine Age because they use this analogy. They said, it's in my new factory book. And, and they said, you have a, like a checkerboard or a chessboard. Right. right. And you put one grain of rice on the first one and then right. two on the second one and then four on the next one. Right. And then eight. Right. And you know, we keep going along. So I said up to now, like, say, the last 30, 40 years, we've been on the one side of the of the chessboard. OK. Right. All right. And so it's been going along. There's been a lot of, you know, relatively exponential improvements in technology. Uh -huh. But um, but now we're on the second board okay so 
imagine if you just doubled up the grains on these these boards. There's 64 squares. Okay. Right, but I'm not sure people can even imagine until you spell it out. Right. So how big a mound of rice is there on the 64th square? Well, it's two to the 63rd, right? Yeah. So in the, bu <laughs> the book, they said it, it's bigger than Mount Everest. Yeah. Okay. So this is actually what's happening with technology. We're on the second half of the board now. So every year, the improvement in all of this technology is doubling now, like from a small hill to a bigger hill now to Mount Everest. Like that's where we're at now. Mm -hmm. So we're going in the, in the 2020s, we're going to see such a rapid acceleration that now most people I tell that to, they just go, Oh my God, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to think about that. Okay? <laughs> no, I don't want to talk about that. Um, but I said, yeah, but it's actually what's happening. And, and it's this kind of thing where right. you go, I'm not noticing, I'm not noticing. And then pff, all of a sudden it's like everywhere. Right. Like, you know, and, and that happened with like the smartphones, right? A few people had them. And then all of a sudden one day you wake up, everybody's got one. It's like, how'd that happen? Right. right. And it was like that last, piece of the board is like psh, everybody ended up with one so well, we're going to think about the, yeah the the whole i mean going back to like you were talking about the 90s right and i was talking with my daughter last night around some of the stuff 1994 <laughs> like if there there was no internet <laughs> I know, right I know. really what? i mean How there was we? if you were in the college university but like right. nothing really accessible to the public um yeah. you know in 96 i remember going to the computer lab in grad school and using netscape Right. right. And that was that was revolutionary, the idea of a browser. And yeah. touch screen phones are really only about 12 years old at this point. I know. Yeah. Well, I wrote a book in 1995 called Strategic Marketing for the Digital Age. Yeah. And it was actually the first book in the world about Internet marketing. And uh, and, mm -hmm. and I, I like reading it because I go back and read. It, I go, wow, this is really interesting. Like a lot of the principles are still applicable. But the technology I was talking about, that's like, Wow, you know, it was it's just so a little different. rudimentary, right? It was like a horse and buggy, you know, and that's only 20, what, 25 years ago. Like, it's not, right. think about who would have imagined, really, what's, what we have now. Like, it's like, well, so, you know, and, and, they, and they say that by, like, 2030, like, mm -hmm. if we're still holding a smartphone in our hand, I don't, who knows what it'll look like, but maybe just a chip or something in our head, but, um, that it will have more uh, processing power than all the human brains that have ever lived times a trillion. Okay. So what is yes, that so going to look like? And this is only 10 years from now. Okay. Like it's not right. that far ahead. Right. Like, well, right. Know. So think about movement wow. analysis and decide. Yeah. There's so many applications where this is going to be, Yeah. you know, yeah, so, so this, this becomes an extremely useful thing when you're thinking about what your gourmet meal might be, right? Hmm. Like, I don't like people to start with the technology because I've had people contact me. So I've got this technology and it's, this is my big right. idea. And I kind of walk them off that because I go, technology, nothing can be more disrupted than a technology. So hmm. don't base your idea on that. But if it's a tool to help you achieve your purpose, then... Yes, let's use it, but also be a little agnostic about it and say, you know, let's not make it about the technology. Let's make it about what we're trying to accomplish. And then whatever technology is useful at the time, like, you know, it's artificial intelligence becomes more powerful. 
people are going to find more uses for it. So instead of saying, I'm just going to use artificial intelligence for something. No, no, no. I have this purpose I'm trying to accomplish. Does artificial intelligence help me with that? Right. What are you trying to do and for yeah. and who are you trying to do it for? Yeah. Yeah. And then, at the, and, and then at the other thing that comes along, that's not even, we don't even know about yet. And that's helpful. Mm -hmm. Then we'll use that too. So, you know, right. so this is, uh, these are extremely useful things to use to help people, you know, if we use them right. So often so, technology is just used for it's well, we're, yeah, we're right, seeing a lot and of it that doesn't now. help people, you know. Yeah, <laughs> right. And it's more have, about so. addiction. <laughs> it's about exactly. I mean, not that I'm addicted to Twitter or anything. No, I'm not. I'm not. <laughs> Not, doom scrolling when we wake up. <laughs> yeah, doom scrolling. That's a new one, eh? I love that. It's like, yeah. oh my god, I'm doom scrolling. <laughs> <laughs> and you see, that's the thing that that if someone, you know, so there's a business there, Twitter sure. addiction or whatever, digital addiction. Um, I just watched this. Uh, it's called the what's called the social dilemma. It's a documentary on mm -hmm. Netflix. It's really good, and it's all about that addiction. So. I mean, I'm assuming already, but there's a business, right? Helping people deal with that, you know? Right. Um, a new problem has arisen. There's an opportunity if you're an entrepreneur to say, you know, we're going to help you with your digital addiction. And there, that'll be a market because yeah, people be have it. And then, and I'll be the first one, the first person mm -hmm. to do it, to go in that 12-step <laughs> process. Yeah, the 12-stepper. We'll do the do the digital addiction. I, I, just as a joke, I, I, I don't drink, um, but I drink non-alcoholic beer. Mm -hmm. And I, I texted my kids over the summer because I was at a cottage all summer, just staying away from the city. And I was drinking all this non-alcoholic beer. And I said, what do you do when you're addicted to non-alcoholic beer? Is there, <laughs> is, there, is, there like a, is there a program for that? <laughs> so there was another problem you know <laughs> non-alcoholic beer is anonymous <laughs> but i don't know anyway Probably not I, a big group. I, I guess my point is that there's so much opportunity to help people right yeah and 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 I, one of the things that i've observed and i really try to teach people is that every day there's a new problem that crops up and people would be willing to pay to have that problem solved right? like problems are the world's greatest renewable resource <laughs> okay they're constantly being created um out of the out of the world and and you know it's because it's whenever we solve a problem three more problems pop up well and but sometimes nothing. we create them right the unintended consequences for the solution yeah yeah so if we start to see ourselves as problem solvers right as opposed to just doers, you know, mm -hmm. um, it's like, well, there's, you know, I, I also think that what happens is too, it's like, they go, there's a big problem your customers have. How come you're not helping them with that? And they go, well, that's not what we do. We do this. Why not? And I go, yeah, well, when you started your business, you saw a problem and you were solving it. And then that's it. You're stuck. You're just done. Like, you know, mm -hmm. and, and the problem is that a million other people came along and tried to help solve that problem too. So that problem's really taken care of now. But every day there's new, new problems and very few people ever say, well, I should help them with that. You know, like, so I say, maybe that is the future-proof business, right? To say our gourmet business is a business 
that's always looking at what problems our customers have or clients or patients mm -hmm. uh, and saying, oh, there's a new problem there. Let's help them with that. That's well, our business. And the, so this is something I actually work with clients on as well is uh -huh. looking at that, you know, going back to your idea of the, like who you're serving, what are the other desires? What are the problems they're facing? And if you go through and brainstorm all those things, yeah, and all of them, okay, be comprehensive, not just the things you want to help with, because you can then pick and choose, oh, I think this would be a great thing that I could do. But huh. what you're left with is a list of potential strategic partners that, you know, stuff that you never want to do, right. but somebody does that and you can bring them into this network in this community and serve your customer better. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, so I have, uh, you know, that, that attitude, I use that principle. Like I'm just trying yeah. to help people in whatever way I can. And it's a, always a, a moving thing. Um, but if somebody like needs a dentist, for example, <laughs> right. I'm not going to be their dentist. That, that would be like not helping them. Okay. Like seriously not helping them, <laughs> but, but I can refer them to a dentist and make that connection. And then I'm helping them. You see? So, um, and I do that all the time, that kind of thing. Right. Mm -hmm. Because I'm just trying to help people. Um, I mean, I, you know, whenever it's like when the pandemic happened, you know, it was like kind of shocking. Right. And you wake up in the morning and go, okay, what's going to happen here. It was like March 12th or something. Yeah. The world's completely changed now. And I go, well, what do I need to do? And I go, well, I'm just helping people. So what do they need help with now? Is it different than what they needed yesterday? And, um, and I did, I created something new there that was, you know, it was a virtual business builder thing. And, and, uh, but it was so helpful because it was like, Oh, well, this is bad. Things have changed, but Oh, opportunity. Things have changed. There's problems there that people need help with. I want to help them. I'm being flexible. I will do that. Whereas most people have not done that. I mean, well, I would say about 10% of companies have like a really good things, but a lot of them just said, we're just going to buckle down and hope that we get back to normal. Try to go backwards. Yeah, absolutely. And you, know? you actually helped yeah. me with this. Um, my, I, I knew I had to change something, but I think my first steps were in exactly the wrong direction. And then, I, then uh, you know, we started working together on this specific problem and same thing. It was, how am I going to help? Because a lot of client issues are not a lot different, but then some are. And that was, the, I want to thank you for that because that was very helpful in just considering these things and putting that together mm -hmm. and and not creating a new offering, but restructuring and then adding some things to it so that it was going to be better improved and more relevant for business owners going forward. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And that was, so, that was a big right. deal. Yeah, so, so the whole idea um, of the new factory, mm -hmm. the old factories are usually set up to, you know, pump out that widget, whatever it is, right? right. Um, and, but the new factory is still kind of a factory, but it's it, it's the assembly line if there is one is um, is designed to figure out what people really want and need and give them that mm -hmm. and under and, and having that idea that because things change so fast that you know maybe we're selling hammers today but tomorrow maybe it's screwdrivers and it should we should be able to give them a screwdriver just as much as a hammer if that's what they really need right and then the day after that they need an uh, you know, a mask for the pandemic. Maybe we should 
figure out how they can get that or whatever, right? So um, if you have a business like that, then it becomes future-proof because embedded in it is the deep understanding that everything it just keeps changing. Mm-hmm. That's the one constant, right? So instead of having a business that's constantly trying to, you know, rebel against change and the change is bad, is that, well, change is, that's it. That's what we're, everything is always doing. And therefore a business should be a, a way to help our customers deal with those changes. That's right. actually what the ultimate thing is about a new factory. Um, the other thing about a new factory is, is the major principle um, is that it's uh, equation, all right? So the old factories equation is that it's all about consumption, production and consumption. So mm-hmm. the underlying kind of uh, cultural project of it is that um, we are, you know, if we produce more and consume more, everyone's going to be happier. Okay, that's that's the cultural project that we've all, and that's the equation we've been working on. All right, sure. the, the new factory is that um, we are trying to help people get better, re, better results, and I ultimately say the ultimate result is well-being. So we're trying to help people have greater and greater well-being using less resources. Mm-hmm. And and this is then it, this aligns up, you know, perfectly with. Physiotherapy, right? You're trying to help them have um, well-being, great and great well-being, using less resources, and uh, and this is the the um, we're in a kind of a battle right now in the world. Okay, is that there's the old factory people that want us to consume, consume, and produce, produce, and that's the thinking, and then there's the new factory people, which is a smaller number but a growing number, that are saying, no, no, we want well-being using less resources. Well, and you see that in the markets too. I think there's a huge, like you said, there's a huge opportunity in the in healthcare world for this. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of providers that have been trying to do more of that against kind of the demand of not just patients, but others as well. Right. But yeah, I mean, Maria Kondo, you see that, you know, this movement, 1-800-GOT-JUNK, right? We'll yeah. clear out your stuff. Yeah. There, there's so many examples that just come to mind immediately around, right. you know, kind of almost a counterculture against the consumer model. Yeah, uh, yeah. So so like in, in my life, like because I wrote the book and I really been thinking about this a lot is I go, well, that's what I'm trying to help my clients do uh-huh. is get better results and well-being. You know, that's the ultimate one using less resources. So how does that work? You know, so it means I have to be very innovative in that way. But I've also done that with my business in my life, right? I go, well-being is the goal and therefore actually having using less resources actually helps me get there. You see? Mm-hmm. So so it's been an amazing experience. I actually did read that book, you know, the mm-hmm. art Japanese art of tidying up. So I did all that, right? So that was part of this game I was playing of, of, of doing that. Um, anyway, I know that that's a little bit of a personal thing, but <laughs> the idea is that the marketplace will reward that, right? And, right. and I won't get political here, but I watched the debate last night and, and this was the two sides that were right there on display. I won't say who was who, but it was pretty obvious. One candidate was all about consumption and production. The other person 
was all about well-being using less resources. Fascinating, right? So this is actually the, the fundamental shift that's going on. And the, the, the second one, the well-being one, will win because that's what the marketplace is actually going to reward. It's got nothing to do with whether you politically want it. It's that that's what the marketplace is asking for. And therefore, if you provide that, you'll find a ready market. So the marketplace will actually determine all of this in the end. You know? yeah. But initially, yeah. it's, a, it's, a, it's a battle, right? Um, so we're just going to have both. We're going to have an old factory and a new factory. We're going to offer people what, see what the marketplace wants. Which one do they want? Well, and that happens in any transition, right? And they're going to exist side by side and fight it out yeah. for a while. Right. You know, regardless, that's mm -hmm. any change mm -hmm. and transition. But yeah. yeah, I mean, that's a that's a very interesting way of looking at it. I hadn't considered it in that kind of context. Yeah, yeah. But, so because you know what, in the end of the day, um, we are economic beings, mm -hmm. right? Because how we make a living is probably like easily one of the, it's like, such a so important part of who we are, right? How we make a living. And, um, and therefore, um, it informs politics, it informs how we organize the society and so on. So now, and there, we're moving into this new factory economy, that's based on that well being equation. And therefore, this will shift and change everything. In the end, everything is changing towards that because that's where more and more people will find a livelihood. So mm -hmm. this, uh, this gourmet thing I talked about at the beginning is that. It's that kind of business. It's that kind of value proposition. Um, and, it, and it's what the marketplace wants. And so it's great. Like you can be, the marketplace actually will reward you for being a gourmet chef and it will punish you for keep trying to keep selling hot dogs. Well, it, that's it probably punish. a great place. <laughs> Usually, I ask if there are any other thoughts, but you've you've dropped a whole bunch of them here in the last few minutes. Okay, right. So <laughs> it will punish you for that because it because the automation is going to replace as much of that as possible. Well, yeah, that yeah. I mean, literally and figuratively, right? I mean, the hot yeah. dog is not that complicated. So exactly. The robots right. and automation and stuff are going to start delivering that stuff and that. if you right. if you want to be part of that you can or you can shift gears and think about what else you could do because what do they use automation for they use it to replace labor mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. so so if we're basing our business on our labor then we're gonna we're gonna get uh replaced by a robot that doesn't can go 24 hours a day work 10 times harder than you and doesn't take a holiday or sick doesn't want a pension right <laughs> so right. you know that's not good for humans, I guess, if we're stuck on that. Okay. Well, well, Bill, thank you so much. I mean, a lot of, lot of, lot of, lot of stuff to think about here. Um, I hope everybody enjoyed that, but I really do appreciate you sharing your ideas, your thoughts. It, I, I've always found it intriguing. Great discussion. Really fun. Cool. Thank, okay. thank you so, so much. All right. Okay. Thanks. Thank you for listening.